Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team, and thank you all that helped with the baptismal, getting that ready today and doing that. It's a wonderful thing, and we're thankful for the ones God's bringing our way and those that are identifying in baptism. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, let me mention just a couple things before I get rolling today, but if you want, take your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to be continuing our series in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9. Uh, we, we have well over 200 kids in our Upward Soccer program signed up this time. That's the highest soccer has ever had, and so that is exciting and encouraging to me. And Norm Hamilton, the head of the uh, soccer Upward, uh, just let me know that we need one coach. We need one, we're one coach short, and if you would be willing to do first and second grade coach, uh, we sure could use that. They didn't plan on having so many teams there, but they do. And so if you want to do that, you can either call the office or let Norm know um, that you'd be willing to help with that. Uh, they also need some refs. They need more refs now that we have more games. If you'd be willing to ref, I know that is a paid position, by the way. And if you'd be willing to ref and help out in that way, uh, you can let Norm in the office know that too. The Rescue Mission is doing a banquet April 27th. We've reserved and sponsored a table. We've got six seats left. If you would like to be a part of that or Rescue Mission banquet, uh, just call the office. And then let me mention one other thing. Um, <clears throat> Rick Reynolds, our missionary to Romania, uh, had a heart attack just recently. And so uh, his wife Patty is here. She's going to be flying out Wednesday to head over to Romania to be with him. She was planning to go there anyways, and so she is heading over there for several months with him, and they'll come back in May, I think, for the graduation here. But let's remember him in prayer. As far as I understand right now, there is no heart damage. I talked to him a little bit last night, and uh, he's doing okay, but he is in the hospital. He'll be there for a few days. So I just want to take a moment just to pray for him, okay? So let's pray. Father God, I want to lift up Rick to you right now. I want to place uh, your grace upon him. I want to place your healing power over him, Lord. And Lord, I just want to commit him to you as he labors there. He's alone in that hospital. And just, just meet his needs and uh, be a comfort to him. And God, as his family uh, is here and his wife will be going over, keep her safe in the travels. And Lord, may they be reunited. And Lord, I just continue to lift him up in the work that he's doing for you. And I lay him at your feet now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's take your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Stand with me now. We're going to read Mark 2 verses, or Mark 9 verses 2. You know, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to cover today, so here we go. Verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, so that no launder on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet, yet how it is, is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished just as is written of him. You may be seated. 
the upward call and the downward craving. Everybody who has ever got an upward call has wrestled with the downward craving. Uh, these are two experiences that are opposed to each other. The upward call, the downward craving. And the truth of the matter is, you have to deal with both of these at the same time. You have that which is before you, and you have that which is behind, pulling at you as if it would pull your soul apart. The upward call and the downward craving. Now, today I'm going to be talking about glimpses God gives you in the upward call. Glimpses, God, and I love the word glimpses. That's why I captured that word for this message. Glimpses God gives you in the upward call. Because that word I found in my life, the glory of God, this is what I found to be true for me, the glory of God is revealed in glimpses, not details. In other words, when you have an experience with God, coming to His Word is what I'm specifically thinking, and God begins to speak to you, He gives you a glimpse of His glory, or you have an experience like the calling of God on your life, or getting saved, or different things. You have these little glimpses of glory that He gives you along the way, and there's not, the, not a lot of detail with it, but enough to just kind of uh, uh, pull you in. He just kind of, the best way I like to describe it is it's just kind of like He... He snatches you into it, he snatches you out, and you're back in reality. Just a glimpse of his glory he gives you along the way. That's what he was doing with his disciples, giving them glimpses of glory along the way. When I uh, was called of God the very first time, it was like a little glimpse of his glory. I was 19 years of age, flying an airplane, uh, a tractable cardinal on the way down to Macon, Georgia which is exactly 200 nautical miles from here. I had to make a triangular cross-country. As I was flying down there, the question popped in my head out of nowhere. I mean, I'm, I'm working on my commercial pilot's license, and all of a sudden the question pops in my head, Lord, do you want me to preach? That was the weirdest thing for me. I don't even know how to describe that experience on that airplane because I'm trying to concentrate and getting to Macon, Georgia, and that is in my head that, Lord, do you want me to preach? I didn't even know what to do with that. It was just like a little glimpse of him speaking to me at that moment in time after a lot of things that God had been doing in my life up to this point in time. I didn't know who to talk to. So you know what I did? I went to my mom. And I said, Mom, I think God is calling me to preach. I don't know for sure, Mom. I think he's calling me to preach. And the best way I know how to say, to it, say it to you is that today... They call me Elaine's, that's my mom's name, they call me Elaine's son. But one day, they will call you Rob's mom. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I just said it like that to my mom. My mom just kind of stared at me like, you're weird. That's what she... <laughs> and uh, I just had this sense of the start of the glimpse of the glory of God in my life. And... Uh, I want to kind of talk to you about that today because this is an amazing passage of Scripture. I've already given point one last Sunday, and so I want to continue on. But they had this unusual transfiguration of Jesus Christ before them where he crossed over in his form from his earthly appearance in the skin and flesh to his glorified, bright, white shining of who he really was. And it was unveiled for them, and it burst forth in full deity. 
And what Jesus was saying is, I'm giving you a little taste right now. This is beautiful. I'm giving you a little taste right now what it's going to be like in your future. I'm going to give you a taste of future glory. That's what he does along the way. He just gives you little glimpses along the way. It's worth living the way you're living, and I'm going to give you a future glimpse, and I want you to know you're going to go back and suffer now. Suffering now, glory later. Suffer now, glory later. And so that's kind of why he gives these little glimpses to us, to just help us, to encourage us. And that's what you were to see last week is the glimpse of Christ's glory. So I'm going to jump right back into my outline. How to hang on to the future to get through the present. Number one was catch a glimpse of Christ's glory. I can't go back over that. Number two, catch a glimpse of your calling. Catch a glimpse of your calling. Now when Peter had experienced this unveiling of Christ's glory, he says in verse 5, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer. You see that phrase there? He did not know what to answer. Different translations bring this out very clearly. He was, he was answering a question that he never was asked. Okay? So nobody's asking him a question here, and he just comes up with this out of his mouth. He's kind of impulsive. He's rash. He just says what comes to his mind. The impetuous Peter. Whatever's on his mind, he's going to say it. And Peter sees this as an amazing moment. Wow, it's a mountaintop experience. This is fantastic. And, and God has let us see this on this mountain. It's good for us to be here, isn't it, Jesus? Master, let me build three tabernacles and we'll worship right here in this place and enjoy the glory. Now, why did he do this? Because he didn't know what to say and he was terrified. That's a terrible example for your life. When you don't know what to say and you're terrified, open mouth, insert foot. And that's exactly what he did. He just said what was on his mind and he just put it out there. And I'm going to talk to you about that today because I want you to see yourself as Peter. That's the best way to read the scriptures is see yourself in that situation where you just say something and you haven't even really thought about what you're going to say and you say it because you don't know what to say or you're terrified. And, and so you just start putting words to things. And so the best thing to learn is to keep your mouth shut. Now, I'm not talking about talking with people. I'm talking about talking with God. Okay? The different level here. Okay? So just keep your mouth shut. I was raised in a time in my childhood where kids, if two parents are talking, they don't enter into the conversation. If adults are talking, you're to be seen and not heard. That's how I was kind of raised. And so every time adults would come over to eat at our house on Sunday, like after church or somebody was visiting, they would invite them over for lunch. Basically, the conversation went on with adults and the kids just sat there. I'm telling you, it was the most boringest time in my life to sit there, get through the meal. I wanted to get outside, play some flag football, basketball, whatever was going on around my neighborhood. I was going to be at it because I did not want to be there at the table with all these adults because you're to be seen and not heard. That's, that's kind of how I was raised. Now, today, kids got an opinion about everything, all right? And they don't mind saying it either. Matter of fact, they'll just say it to anybody, my grandkids. I've learned more about my kids from my grandkids than I've known myself. I've changed my will five times because of it. But I'm telling you what, I can't believe the things I've learned from my grandkids. But I'm just saying, when I, I was taught as a child, I have no business in grown folks' business. 
That's what I was taught. I have no business in grown folks' business. Now, I want you to remember that as I get into this message, okay? Here we have a heavenly conversation. Two spirit beings glorified, Elijah and Moses. And they're talking to Jesus about his suffering and going to Jerusalem and dying. And the only reason Peter and James and John are there is because of their relationship to Jesus. That's the only reason they're there. All right? When your relationship takes you into a level that would have otherwise not been, hush your mouth, child. Okay? I'll say that again. When your relationship takes you into a level that would have otherwise not been, hush your mouth, child. Let the grown-up folks talk. Let the grown-up folks talk. Why? Because you have not earned your stripes yet. You have not paid your dues. These two glorified spirit beings have paid their dues. Elijah, he was caught up in a chariot of fire. Anybody been caught up in a chariot of fire <laughs> and taken to heaven? I mean, that man paid his dues. Moses, his body was so valuable that when he died, when he died, Satan wanted it more than God wanted it. And so Satan went after the body of Moses, the Bible says. And he went after that body of Moses and he was going to take it for himself because he knew how valuable that man was. And he got in a fight, a tug of war with Michael the archangel because Michael went down to get the body of Moses and Satan went to get the body of Moses and they went into a tug of war, let go, let go, let go. Because his value, the value of Moses' body and I believe it's going to come back again in the end times. But there are other thinking on that except to say to you that these are two precious men that God was saying, these guys have paid their dues. They have paid their dues. But you, Peter, <laughs> you haven't been through enough to have an opinion. Just hush your mouth. This is so hard to do. You are only there to catch a glimpse of where you are going, Peter. You're failing to see your calling. You don't understand the level of conversation we're having. But here comes Peter anyways. Peter answered Jesus. Jesus wasn't asking him anything, but he answered him anyways, okay? Peter jumps into a heavenly conversation with an earthly answer. This is where I want to get down into this. He answers a heavenly conversation with an earthly answer. He says, let's build three tabernacles. Now, why would he say that? you got to understand that to understand this passage. You build three tabernacles because it's a celebration of what they would have called the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year they would move out of their house and they would build a little hut out of straw and sticks on the main road. And they would live in those straw huts for a week to commemorate the fact that God sustained the children of Israel for 40 years without a house and provided for them, and so they're supposed to remember that every time. So Peter goes into his past, and he thinks, this is a perfect time to do the Feast of Tabernacles, because look at all the glory around us, and we can celebrate everything God has done in the past. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Now, here's how I want you to see it. What he's saying is, let's build what you've already did away with in the past. You've done away with that old system. Well, let's build it anyways. Let's build where you used to be, Jesus, not where you are now. Peter's trying to say something important on a level he has not arrived yet. This is a new thing God is doing on a new level. 
So I just want to ask you this simple question. Just think it through in your life, okay? Are you trying to bring something old into something new? Are you trying to bring something old into something outdated? Peter is trying to shine on the mountain like he did when he was in the valley. It's a huge difference. Now think about that. In the valley with Jesus, Peter shined. Who am I, Peter? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, you got it. A plus, Peter. Flesh and blood's not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. So Peter's thinking, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Then Jesus takes Peter to a new and higher level up on the mountain. He's wise down in the valley, but he's a fool on the mountain. He's a fool on the mountain. Do you know why he wanted to talk? The truth is, in the valley, he knew he was important. He knew he was important. He's kind of saying, you remember what I said down there? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I got an A plus on that. And so maybe I can say something really cool here on the top of the mountain. So he says, let's build three tabernacles. Let's celebrate. Let's camp out here for seven days. Let's, let's bask in the glory of you three. As a matter of fact, let's just stay here forever. See, what Peter is really saying here is this. Jesus, I don't know why you were talking about that suffering, dying, and rejection stuff. Look, the kingdom's come. You don't have to suffer and die and be rejected. That's foolish. We got the kingdom now. That's the way he's seeing it. He's thinking it's all over now, and we're just going to go into glory. The kingdom of God has come in all its glory. He says, we're here now. We don't need to go through all that suffering. That's really what's behind this. And let's celebrate the final feast of tabernacle celebration, which is to happen in the end times. We don't need three tabernacles. It's almost like God's saying, first off, if there's going to be any tabernacles, there's going to be only one. Jesus is going to be there on that level by himself. Second, God's going to now answer Peter. He's going to answer him. Verse 7 says, this is why people miss this, but see it's all together. Then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, and this is the answer God gave to Peter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, let's understand that, because I think this is, this is important. This full white cumulus cloud, bright white, comes down and lands over Elijah and Moses and Jesus and shrouds them and hides them in the cloud. Now, this only happens three times in the Bible, this overshadowing, that word overshadow. And I just want you to know those so you see how important this event is. The first time in the overshadowing was at the origin of the earth. You don't see it in the English, but it's there. Genesis 1-2, the, the Holy Spirit moved over the face of the deep. That actually is in Hebrew the word to overshadow. In other words, there's this watery mass. God said there was going to be the earth. And it started out in a watery mass. And as soon as it was a watery mass, the Spirit of God overshadowed the entire earth and moved over it to lovingly protect it. You say, what are you protecting? You're inside that water. You're in that water. 
and he's protecting you, but he is also powerfully creating out of water everything else. It's the overshadowing of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. The second time you see it is when the angel comes to Mary, and Mary says, how can I have a baby seeing I don't know a man? I've never had an intimate relationship with a man. How can I have a baby? And the, and the angel answers her and says to her, the Spirit of God will overshadow you. It will come over you like a cloud, and it will shroud you. And at that moment in time, it will give you a godly seed into you, into your egg. It's an amazing thing. It's the power of God in the overshadowing of Mary at that moment in time when she became pregnant. And here is the third time in the Bible when the overshadowing of God comes over these three men, or I should say three spirit beings and God himself, and the power of God comes with the cloud to empower them. And when he overpowers them, he now answers Peter. And by the way, there's only three times in the New Testament that God the Father audibly speaks. This is one of them. And when he audibly speaks, he speaks only about his son. That's very important to get. So he answers Peter and he says, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. Hear ye him. That's his answer. What's he going to say? What's, he, what's God really saying? And what is Peter really needing to get? Okay, what God is saying to him is, it's not Moses. It's not Elijah. It's my only son. You listen to him. You hear him. Don't talk, Peter. Don't talk. Hush your mouth. Listen. He's going to talk to you. Whatever he says, you listen to him. If God were to speak from heaven today to you, and he was come to you in an audible voice like he did the three times in the New Testament, I promise you, the one thing he would say to you is this, listen to my only son. I love him dearly. I am well pleased with him. He'd say the exact same thing he said in the Bible itself. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. You don't tell him what to do, Peter. <laughs> you just listen to him. You don't, you don't tell him what ought to be done, Peter. You just hear him. You, you don't assign him a project to do. You hear him. You, you don't send him to fulfill your vision. You fulfill his vision, Peter. Listen to him. Just be quiet, Peter. Just hush your mouth. Hush your mouth. What, what, what's going on here? What is this all about? This is a lesson in humility. That's what it is. This, is. this is what God will have to do with you personally if he's going to ever get this through to you. It's a lesson in, in the valley. Peter looks big. On the mountaintop, Peter looks small. Peter's small. There are levels in your walk where you must bend yourself like a little child in humility. You want to get a glimpse of God. You want to get a glimpse of God in your life. You want to get it through the Word of God. You want the Word of God to just come real to you. You have to come like that. You have to come in humility. You have to come and just say, God, I'm just hushing my mouth right now. I just want to listen. I want to listen. You don't interject your opinion. You don't tell God what ought to be done. I'm really trying to talk to you at a deeper level. 
Have you ever told God what you think he should have done? You don't tell God that. You hold your peace and you let God be God. You just hold your peace and you let God be God. That's, that's exactly what you do. This is the moment of humility and worship. And besides all of that, Peter didn't even know what he was talking about. He didn't know what he was talking about. Peter could say, man, I know down here, but I don't know up there. I don't know that kind of glimpse of glory. I got to know that glimpse of glory, but he doesn't know it. And God says, you got to catch a glimpse of my glory. You are getting the flashes of my glory of where you will be one day. And then I'm going to send you right back down the valley to where you live your life. So you're just getting a flash right now. You're not supposed to make it happen, Peter. You're not supposed to force anything. You're not supposed to build anything. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. That's a beautiful way to say it. Let God flash His glory to you. This is God's doing. I'm your Alpha and Omega. I'm your beginning and end. And all you have to do is be still and know that I'm God. That's all you have to do. Stillness is the first requirement to know God. But Peter struggled with that, to be still and know that I'm God. And what do I do? And I want you to, I'm going to say it in the way I best know how to communicate to you. And God says, then I'll bring you to a place, a place where you're not smart. You're not smart. A place where you don't know what to do or what to say. A place of humility. A place of submission. Where your thoughts are not my thoughts, where your ways are not my ways. You have no contribution to make, Peter. Just hush your mouth, child, and I'll reveal myself to you. That, to me is so central to understanding a walk with God. Let me give you this last point and I'll close. Okay, number three, catch a glimpse of the road to glory. Now, I don't have time to deal with this in the way I'd hoped, but basically, I just want to say this. Everything stops now. Verse eight says, all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, he gave them orders. All right, I'll just stop right there. The glory drops out. Elijah and Moses are gone. The overshadowing takes off. The voice stops. Everything is gone. And all that is left of this mountaintop experience is Jesus in his humanity. It's very important you understand that. Okay? And then the next phrase says, and they journeyed down the mountain. What does that mean? The journey into the valley begins. Keep that picture in your mind for your life. When you have these brief glimpses of God's glory and you, and, and you have these highlights in your life where God was speaking and working in your life, remember there's going to be a time the valley comes again and just keep that picture in mind. Jesus is still there. His glory is not magnificent. He's in His humanity, but He's going to faithfully continue with you on the road into your valley. And he tells the disciples now, don't tell anybody about this till I rise from the dead. And they said, okay, we'll do it. 
They don't tell anybody until he rises from the dead. And then they keep thinking, what's that mean to rise from the dead? And so they're going down this mountaintop back into the valley. And as they're thinking about that, the thing they're thinking about is the only thing they understand to be the end of time is the rising from the dead. When all the dead rise that have put their faith in Christ, they think that's going to be at the end of time. So they're thinking Jesus isn't going to do that till the end of the time. So in their mind, they have questions about eschatology, which we argue over today, all the questions of eschatology. That's exactly what they're thinking. So they know the end of time when everybody is raised from the dead that has put their faith in Christ. The end of the time, doesn't Elijah have to come first? So rather than saying, are you talking about the end of the time? Or are you talking about raising from the dead after you go to a cross and die? They're thinking the end of time. They're not thinking the cross, okay? Because they can't get that concept in their head and so they 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 have this spirit about them that says just tell us about the end times then doesn't elijah have to come first and jesus says you're right elijah has to come first but let me tell you something the truth is he's already come he's already come he came in the spirit of john the baptist that was john the baptist it was elijah returning in the spirit of john the baptist and so when he returned in the spirit of John the Baptist, he has already come in that spirit, in the fulfillment of Scripture. And what did John the Baptist do? He came, they threw him in prison, and they cut off his head. That's exactly what happened to John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. He came, they threw him in prison, and they cut off his head. So what Jesus is saying here is, don't miss this point. You're concerned about the end times. You're concerned about the eschatology. But the truth is, John the Baptist came, and they did to him what they wanted to do to him. And what they want to do to him? They want to cut off his head. He suffered first, then he got his glory. I myself must suffer first, and then I will get my glory. Don't think it'll be any different for you. You will suffer first, and then you will get the glory. That's, that's really what he's saying here in a nutshell. So he's saying, everyone that I'm going to use, everyone that I'm going to reveal myself to, suffers first, then they get the glory. There are no shortcuts on the road to glory. That's what I want you to get. I want you to get that and walk away with that today. The path of triumph is one of suffering. I, I can't even get this into my own heart sometimes. I cannot get this. I don't know why. It's like a block in my flesh that won't let me really enter into this. But Jesus' finest hour, his finest hour was on the cross. It was in his suffering. His finest hour was in his suffering. Just try to, try to really capture that. See, the disciples were living with a flaw that we all live with too. And I think it sometimes invades our thinking. And sometimes we have the thought that bad things only happen to bad people. Bad things do happen to bad people. But not only to bad people. Not only to bad people. They happen to us. They happen to Jesus. They happen to John the Baptist. And this suffering first, this glory later is such an important thing because suffering is not incompatible in the glory of Christ. One of the biggest mistakes you'll make is you'll try to figure out why you're suffering time sometimes. And I can't tell you how many people I've had say to me, it's because I did something in my past or I'm paying for past sins. 
that theology is so wrong that you're paying for past sins, that God in heaven would see you that way, would have that kind of image of you that you need to pay for that kid. And he's somehow making you pay. That's, that's not the picture I see in Scripture because bad things don't only happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people, people who are saved. And it's not because they're bad. It's not because they're paying for something. Let's get that in your heart. Because suffering is indispensable to future glory. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know why you had to go through that or face that certain thing in your life. But the truth of the matter is, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. That's A.W. Tozer. I didn't come up with that one. A.W. Tozer said that. God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. I've, I've learned this. If you live long enough, if you, learn, if you live long enough, you will learn this. I can serve a God like this because I found him in my suffering. This is, this is something very hard to do, but this is where you find God. He says, God, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship, the fellowship of your suffering. That's where you connect with God. You find him in your suffering. I know nobody wants to go down that path. I don't want to choose it. I don't want it to happen to me, but that's exactly, that's God's finest hour. What do you think your finest hour will be when your life is over? I'll promise you this. My finest hours won't be in this pulpit. They will be in my suffering. Where Jesus promised he'd meet me in the furnace. Where he promised he would meet me there in the hospital. He promised he would meet me in the cemetery. He promised he would meet me in the divorce court. That's hard to grasp, that those will be your finest hours. But Jesus' finest hour was in his suffering. And that will be yours too, because more suffering, more glory. More glory. We don't go looking for that. We don't want it in our lives, but that's exactly what draws us to a place where we find him. Now, let me say this. I'm going to close, okay? In order to be an overcomer, you've got to have something to come over. Okay? You can't be an overcomer if you have not come over. You've got to come over something. How else are you going to be an overcomer? You can't win fights unless you have fights. You can't have victory unless you fight. Okay, so it's the same way in your Christian life. There's got to be some things that you come over in order to be an overcomer. And it'll be in that that God ultimately gives you more glory. Nobody goes after that. But I promise you, it's in your pain that you find him. That's where he'll meet with you because that's his finest hour. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I, I come before you today and I recognize just with the short amount of time I had how precious it is, it is to know. Lord, that if we could just touch one of your suffering hands on the cross, <laughs> If we could just touch it, I'm convinced 
we would know you know our pain. You know our pain. You know our hurt. You know what we carry. You know what gets us down. But God, just in this moment of time, I just ask, you just meet with us. God, help us to find you. Help us to find you in our suffering. suffering, we just come over. We just come over. So we want to be overcomers. And I, I want to pray that over these folks here today, Lord. Just a theology that would really help them understand what it means to walk with God. What will be our finest hours when our life is over? I think we're going to be completely surprised. And so, Lord, I just want to lift that up to you today from your word. Help us just to step back, hush our mouth, and be still. So we can know your God. We know your God. You'll meet us in the furnace. You'll meet us in the hospital. You'll meet us in the cemetery. You'll meet us in the divorce court. That's what we need to know. We need to meet you. So, Father, I pray that over this this group of folks that are here today, many of them already know you as Lord and Savior. Some have not made you Lord and Savior. They've got to find that first. So, Father, I pray you continue to do their work, your work in their hearts. I lift it up to you now, and I ask it in Jesus' name. The only name there's power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to sing. And as they sing today, enter into the song. Enjoy the relationship we have with Christ and what he's trying to do in our hearts.